Attention to roll call. Welcome to the 265 Police Live Series. Brought to you by the New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. The mission of this podcast is to provide expert analysis of past and present law enforcement related events with a trained eye. Listen to the boots on the ground weigh in on the court of public opinion. All right, everybody, welcome to 265 Police Live. Eric Dim, former NYPD lieutenant, labeled as the most complained cop. Along with me is the founder, co-host to New York's finest retired unfiltered podcast, Sean McCary, who stood up for moral principles in relation to the forced vaccine mandate. John, uh, let's do a news let's do a news segment, give an opportunity to talk about different news that's going on within the NYPD and policing and politics in New York City. So let's start with something. What do you got? Yeah, let's do it. It's uh, So we'll do for the week of March 13th, 2023, we'll do a new segment. We're going to start a new news segment here on the podcast. You know, we have a podcast where we do interviews, which is the New York Finance Retirement Unfiltered Podcast. We got Eric's show, which is the 265 Police Live series. And now we're going to start to do new segments. We're doing it weekly for now. Eventually, we, we might move it towards doing daily. Uh, right now, it's going to be a weekly news segment. Where we're going to go over all the issues in law enforcement throughout the nation with a strong focus on, obviously, the NYPD, because that's, you know, that's what me and Eric, that's where me and Eric came from. That's where we made it. That's where we made our bones. And that's it. You know, so we're going to we're going to go on that. You know, that's where the majority of our followers are. So uh, let's start on this week. Let's go into uh I think we did an episode on uh, – we didn't do an episode, but, I, you know, he spoke out prior, and I think he gave us some words of wisdom, Chief Ken Corey, um, on his <laughs> way out the door. And his words of wisdom at the time were just a minor slight tweak to bail reform would solve all the issues that we were having in New York City in relation to crime. He just came out. He did an article. I got the article sent to me probably a thousand times. Um you know, I spoke to Eric about it offline. Um, and Eric, you want to? I know you read the article, so if you want to, if you want to, if you want to deep dive into it. Uh, listen, uh, I want to wish him uh, a great retirement and congratulations retirement. Now, I've heard Ke- Kenneth Corey was a fantastic chief. I've heard he's a great leader, but to be honest, what I see and what I hear is he was a nice guy. Maybe he was a good guy, but that doesn't necessarily make him a good leader. I expect a vision. I expect changes. And here I've been asking for a white male or any male in retirement or female in retirement that was the chief on the NYPD and speak about the atrocities and actually stand up a moral principle. So Kenneth Corey had that opportunity. And I honestly, I had high hopes, but unfortunately I was let down as always. Now he had some great, he had some great talking points, but it was apparent and evident that no matter what talking points he had, which were pretty much reflective of stuff we had talked about in this podcast, he had to pander to the left. So there were some talking points where he, he said, he talked about the, the lowest standards, the basis for the hiring standards, how that has an effect on the analysis of the events that have surrounded the death of Tyree Nichols. He talks about some great key talking points. I, I will give him credit for that. But the last key point that he spoke about is where I take issue to. And it reads as such. I want to read this out. So, if I could get this over here. 
Give me a second. I have this. Uh... Let me not read the entire paragraph, but I want to read this portion here where he says, I believe a big factor is that police have learned from prior protests. Protesters have been asking for change, transparency, accountability, and justice. Now, this is the part I really take issue to. In Memphis, Chief C.J. Davis has been very transparent, quickly fired the officers, and they have been arrested and charged with murder. Additionally, the entire policing profession swiftly condemned this heinous act for the crime that it was. Change takes time, but has been going. Now, John, I have, I have many thoughts. I could dissect this paragraph. And I, I do believe it's pandering to the left. But before we go into it, I want I want you to tell me your thoughts. What does that first sentence reflect on you? I believe a big factor is that police have learned from prior protests. Ultimately, prior to this, uh, his conversations, talking points were how the police have engaged in these protests and that their engagement was a learning experience and prevented further violence of riots and and violence for potential riots in regards to Tyree Nichols that would have reflected those of George Floyd, which you and I had spoke about. So please, John, give me your thoughts. Yeah, he should definitely not choke on himself while he's doing that. <laughs> definitely choke a little less, not stick it all the way down his throat because the bottom line is this. What he's saying in that one sentence is he's saying – what you're dealing with, right? Like, and, and for those of you that don't know, Eric got this, the post yesterday for eight hours. He was sat with corporation counsel for six hours the day before going over the 2020 riots and, and his actions during that time, his actions to protect the citizens of New York city, his actions that were directed by the then chief of department, Terrence Monaghan, who is nowhere to be found during this deposition, during these testimonies. Um, and what Chief Ken Corey, former Chief Ken Corey, is saying in that sentence is, you, the police officer, the NYPD, was responsible for those 2020 riots. You guys were responsible. You were responsible for people from Ohio coming here, destroying property, spitting on you, throwing bricks at you, smashing businesses, assaulting innocent people, assaulting cops. You were responsible for it because you weren't trained properly or some way your response or the way you dealt with protesters. And again, my take issue with the very fact of the word protest, right? Because we've been dealing, we've dealt with, the NYPD has dealt with millions of protests. We never had a problem other than 2020. Why? Because those were riots. Those weren't protests. So right then and there, it's pandering. It's disgusting. He's going right back to chief mode. He's going right back to I was Ken Corey, who did absolutely nothing as the chief of department. <laughs> I did absolutely nothing as the chief of training. Um, did he have a good career? Absolutely he did. All prior to him being the big boy. All prior to him getting the crown. And heavy is the head. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, and he wanted that responsibility, and he flaked it off, and he did nothing as the chief of department. He, he oversaw a diminished NYPD, and he's continuing to further it in retirement.
So that's that first line for me. I take huge, huge issue. To me, it's extremely problematic. Now, some people will say they're just words, but I think words are extremely powerful, especially where the words come from and what the intention is. So in just in that sentence alone, the intention is to pander to the left and always, as John, you and I always talk about this offline. We've talked about it. We've been pretty expressive about it on the podcast. It's always about being careful. Chief Corey has an opportunity. He's in his retirement. I'm going to assume that he's either close to 62 at the retirement age, maybe beyond. I, I don't know his age, but we're pretty confident based on his career throughout his life. In addition to that, he's going to get Social Security. So this is an opportunity to not be concerned with the money that he's going to be making for the rest of his life and for his family, but to have moral principle talk about the atrocities that happen. Because, John, you and I have been pretty adamant and expressive, and I continue to be expressive. On June 4, 2020, the riot that I took part of, and I continue to call it riot, I've been informed numerous times not to refer to it as a riot, unless I can be expressive and actually explain what a riot is. It's very, it's very simple to explain what a riot is. It's a crowd. It's a crowd. It's a gathering of those committing violent acts. It's, that's a very simple definition in the most simplest forms. But what I can tell you this, I was a Marine for six years. I served the New York City Police Department for almost 20 years, honorably. And it's in my opinion that those that protest should have the right to protest. They should exercise their First Amendment. And that's why we are there in safety and also to administer and give them the opportunity to protest. But it wasn't the police department that impeded on the protesters from exercising that right. It was the violent interrupters. They love to use that term, violent interrupters. Well, this was the violent interrupters at the protest. It was the violent rioters that impeded their ability to exercise their First Amendment by protesting racial injustice, inequalities amongst the police department, the communities. That was their cause. And also FTP fucked the police. It was not the police. The police department was hybrid in acting as safety for the protesters and actually trying to bring that violence to a quell. This was an opportunity for Kenneth Corey to address the problem. But unfortunately, he twisted it, panned it to the left. By ultimately, that sentence alone says that police were problematic and they have learned from it. And that's why it's peaceful now. I think that's inflammatory. I think that's a it's a, a complete mistake. And I'm pretty confident he knows deep down his heart when he lays down. I hope you're watching this podcast, Mr. Corey, retired former chief of New York City Police Department. And I hope at night when you look at that ceiling, you could actually live with yourself knowing that that statement is completely a farce and it's false. But you have to live with that statement because it's documented forever. Yeah, I mean, in, even in retirement, he can't refer to those as riots. He's referring to them as protests. And that in itself, <laughs> that in itself. So I, I put a post down. I basically said I wasn't just speaking to him. I was speaking to Bill Bratton, too. I was speaking to everybody. Um, I was speaking to almost all the retired chiefs, Dermot Shea, James O'Neill, all of them. And, and the fact that I said nobody cares. Do your media. Write your articles. Go on your podcast. No one on this job cares what you have to say anymore. Nobody. Nobody. Because, again, you're backpedaling off what you just said when you walked out the door. You walked out of the door. You walked off the door, out of the door, and what would you say? You said, oh, just a minor tweak to bail reform. Everything else was good. But just a minor tweak to bail reform will restore the NYPD, will restore New York City to its yesteryear. 
which is a, a joke in itself. And even in retirement, you refer to riots as protests. You should be ashamed of yourself. Absolute, absolute disgrace. And that's why it, you know, at second notion, I oppose the Civilian Complaint Review Board's mission. I oppose the Civilian Complaint Review Board's perspective. But at the same token, we have to understand, and John, I'm sure you understand as well, that the Civilian Complaint Review Board is sitting at a position saying, well, look, even the chiefs of the department, the leaders, right, the leaders of the New York City Police Department that affect vision and change, even in retirement, continue to refer to these riots as a protest and put blame on the police officers for that protest. There's an active lawsuit going on right now. I was deposed. The active lawsuit was brought up by the state attorney, state attorney general's office, initiated by Letitia James, along with the individual rioters or protesters at that event that are currently suing. And it's all tied up. It's been blanketed under one lawsuit. So, again, Kenneth Corey had an opportunity to to right these wrongs, to actually be expressive about the atrocities. But again, he put the blame on the police officers because it pans to the left. Now, I'd like to read that second sentence again because that's another sentence I totally don't, don't agree with. Protesters have been asking for change, transparency, accountability, and justice. And this, this next part, I, I, I think is completely problematic. And it's contradictory of what everything we heard. In Memphis... Chief C.J. Davis has been very transparent. I want to say that again. Chief C.J. Davis has been very transparent. Quickly fired the officers. Quickly. And they have been arrested and charged with murder. I'm going to stop right there, John. You and I talk about this podcast. You and I both wrote articles that were published in a magazine called The Manhattan, which referred to the analysis and the events that led up to the death of Tyree Nichols. What do you think about that statement? And this comes from a man, of a 30-some-odd-year man from the New York City Police Department, a chief. Someone that has been referred to as a good man. He got a walkout. Consider leader. Not in our eyes, but what do you think about that statement? First off, I just want to say, just going back on accountability and transparency before we even go on to Memphis, just going on the words accountability and transparency that protesters have been asking for accountability and transparency – the men and women of the New York City Police Department, the ones that actually do the job from police officer up to probably, I'll say, inspector um, in some cases, not often, but in some cases, there are inspectors out there that are doing what they need to do and they're protecting their people and they and they are honorable people. They are the most accountable and transparent profession on the face of this earth. They have more accountability than any organization whatsoever at any time in history. There has never been this much scrutiny on an organization. These people have to stop violent felons on a street and leave a business card with their name and shield number on them and ask permission to search them. And you're going to talk about accountability and transparency. So you're talking about the people you're blaming a riot on the people that are the most accountable and transparent yet who are the least transparent and accountable three-star chiefs, deputy commissioners and above all of those people are the least accountable. So right then and there, he has no, no 
reason whatsoever or he has no standing to ever say anything about accountability or transparency because once we break that rank of city manager at, at two-star chief, they are the <laughs> least accountable and the least transparent. And we know, and we've spoke about it before, and I don't want to say we know like I know, but we've spoke about it before. And in my opinion, what that chief did was, was inflame and hope and go on TV every day before the release of that body cameras, hoping there was going to be riots. It was almost like watching a movie, a movie premiere where it was building up the tension. This is going to be the worst thing you ever seen since Rodney King. It was a, it was a movie trailer. And, and, and honestly, she should be fired for it. She should be fired in, in for several different ways. She should have stepped down one for those officers, even being for those officers, even being hired Two for the zero zero supervision that those officers had they had zero supervision zero accountability it ultimately falls on her and everyone knocks me when i knock the police commissioner i don't care she's the boss heavy is the head same thing with pat lynch heavy is the head you want to wear the crown you're going to get the you're going to get the critiques it is what it is and here we are like i said we're the talking heads, and we're here to talk about things that the mainstream media is not going to tell you and that retired chiefs still aren't telling you. Then no one is defending you. The only three people that I know defending that I know defending the people working currently in the New York City Police Department is Eric Dim, myself, and Sal Greco. We're the only people out there talking, and we're three guys that all got fucked by the NYPD. We're the three people that should be like, fuck you. I don't care about this job. And we are no longer getting paid by the New York City Police Department. We don't get any money for doing any of this. And we're advocating for you more than your active chiefs, your retired chiefs, your active commissioners, your retired commissioners, your own unions. I think that was completely well said. You're you're 100% accurate. Again, I want to reflect on Chief C. Chief C.J. Davis, who was the chief of Memphis, has been very transparent. I think that's kind of ironic. I think at the time, the video actually emerged, I think it was 21 days after the actual incident where Tyree Nichols had, uh, was ultimately arrested, beaten, and eventually he lost his life. So I think that totally debunks his this whole ideal of transparency, and it coincides with exactly what you were saying about the, the, the theatrics, the subliminal message that had led up to the release of the video. In addition to that, the video was released on a Friday night, which gives rioters and protesters ample amount of, ample amount of time to be prepared and orchestrated for a potential catastrophic event. We were fortunate we didn't, we didn't get to that uh, moment in time I think there's various reasons, and you and I could probably spend, if we go down that rabbit hole, we could probably spend days talking about why it, and how it did not get to that point. Again, it also says, quickly fire the officers. And they have been arrested and charged with murder. And in some part, that's, that's correct. But at the time, we were led to believe that the incident itself, which I do think was brutal, I don't think they those five thugs moved like police officers. I even wrote about it. I don't think they had enough training. I think they were hired based on loose standards. But at the time, we also did not get any documentation released to know that there was an actual nexus confirmed between his 
himself being beaten and his actual death. It's unfortunate, but we were never, none of that information was ever released. It's the toxicology or the events that led up to it was his death actually the result of him being beaten? Still, that doesn't make it any different. Yes, it was catastrophic. It was horrendous. It was suspectable. But we never released, we never saw any documentation of what led to his death. And I think that's problematic also with transparency. Now, the next line says, additionally, the entire policing profession swiftly condemned this heinous act for the crime that it was. Change takes time. But has been ongoing. What do you think about that? Again, it was the change that he oversaw that led to this. It was the change in the lowering of standards, the lowering of training, the lack of transparency, the lack of accountability. It was the changes that he oversaw that caused what we saw in Memphis. Right? The things that we're seeing in Memphis we can correlate with the New York City Police Department. It's all happening. It's happening throughout the whole country. You know, I, I had uh, I have all these people send me messages. Someone sent me a message today, and they said it's not a crime isn't a crime isn't a red state problem or a blue state problem. It's a <laughs> national problem. And I said, you're you are one hundred percent. I saw your post. I saw your. That was good. <laughs> so and that's, it, and that's why, and that wasn't the inspiration for my post. I and and so I said, I said. You know, I said crime is not a red state problem or a blue state problem. It is a national problem, but it's a problem for everywhere progressive policy and legislation has been instituted. That's where crime has rose in the last three years. That's what we're seeing here. If you have a, a progressive city inside of a red state, you'll see the same things. And, th and these police departments are moving collectively in a whole, right? You're handing out business cards. They're removing all your ability to stop people. Um, you're self-reporting on yourself. The disciplinary matrix is something that we're seeing throughout the entire country in these progressive police departments. And it's set up, it's set up to get you fired. It's set up to blame you. When people riot, that's what happens. They get paid $21,000 and the only person that's left accountable and holding the bag and still being blamed for it is the New York City police officer. And here you go, former chief of department, still blaming you till this day, when the last chief of department who oversaw that 2020 riot is nowhere to be found, hiding. But I guess Ken didn't get that big job, right? I guess maybe he didn't leave for greener pastures with less than a year in rank of the, of the chief of department. I guess we're really seeing that why he did leave, right? Why did he leave? Here he is. He, he wants to get back in the spotlight. He wants to be like Bill Bryant. He wants to be this police and expert and talk about all this stuff. So let's talk about it, Ken. Why did you leave? Why did you step down? You obviously didn't step down for a big job. You obviously didn't. I tell you what, this last sentence... I find it extremely problematic. I don't like it. I think it's completely ambiguous. I think it was ambiguous on purpose. I think uh, in his unconscious conscious, I think he made the statement ambiguous on purpose. I, I don't necessarily say that he actually thought about it, but this is what's going on in his unconscious conscious because it's always about being careful. It's always about let's give out the information that puts us on a decent path 
But let's also put out the information that pandas to the left. So what ultimately what it does is if we leave a statement that's ambiguous as the statement that we heard last, change takes time, but it has been ongoing. In my opinion, it's ambiguous on purpose so that I could be the center of any conversation. That gives him the opportunity that if he wants to be a talk a talking head on a leftist show, he could say, yes, what I meant by that is the police department has to experience change so that they make it better for the protesters. That also gives him an opportunity to go on a right-wing show and say, well, I, exactly, I think the police officers are doing a great job, and I think that the public has to change their perception. Change takes time, but has been ongoing. Extremely ambiguous, always using buzzwords. The chiefs of the NYPD are fantastic at using buzzwords because buzzwords can be manipulated in any facet that you want it to guide to. Just as the word de-escalation. De-escalation is a buzzword that can be used in any facet. Manipulating crime. That is usually the way that they talk about crime. It's buzzwords. Again, I don't like that statement. Completely ambiguous. It shows he's not taking a stand. John, you always use the terminology moral principle. And I have to admit, I picked it up from you because I totally agree with that. I love that terminology. Where is the moral principle for this man who's already been retired? Obviously, he's been kicked out on his ass and he will never admit it. No one spends less than a year in rank as the chief of the department. How long was Chief Esposito uh, in, his, in his billet? I think it was 12 years. I think they had to forcibly remove this guy, right? <laughs> But yet, in less than a year, he stepped down. Here was an opportunity to be extremely expressive, expressive and truthful. Because you know what, Chief Corey? I'd like to tell you something. Death before dishonor. We're not on this earth forever. And when we go in that box, every one of us, whether you go in that box or you decide to be cremated, we leave with nothing and just a legacy. And that's going to be your legacy that you panned it to the left. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. He got told to leave because he was white. He got told it was time for Jeffrey Madry to step into that role. He got told all that stuff and, 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 and he didn't, and he didn't exhibit moral integrity. Again, he just stepped to the side, like the soft white guy, like the rest of the chiefs. And again, like I said, they need to pander to the left because they need the ability to sell their mouth to the highest bidder, whoever that is, <laughs> whoever that highest bidder is, whether it's CNN or whether it's Fox news, they will, somebody will do this. They will get up there right up there in this little hole right here and stick and then <laughs> just move their mouth for them and whatever they want to tell them. Like when we saw Bill Bratton write an op-ed for, to tell you that if you put a casino in Times Square, Times Square will be safer. I mean, the guy, it's like soul to your soul, legend in policing, no longer. You literally like just destroyed your name. Uh, I don't think Ken Corey is to that level yet, but Ken, you will be there. So, and honestly, I don't even want, I didn't even want to do a segment about you at all because I don't even think you deserve it. So <laughs> you didn't say a word during the whole vaccine mandate. You didn't say a word during the exodus. You didn't say a word during all these leftist policies that diminished and weakened this department. So it, it pains me to even mention your name or bring you up here, but we did. But that's the last thing I have to say about him. So Eric... <laughs> Feel free. Go right ahead. <laughs> well, I, I just want to say that his words, I think that the NYPD should take problematic issue to his his talking points because his words, I believe, are 
inflammatory in, in regards to depositions that are being held right now in, in regards to this lawsuit. It doesn't help the NYPD's case. I think that uh, my talking points are completely in opposition of what he's saying. Again, I'll say it again. I've been pretty adamant. There were protesters at the riot that I had worked at. We came, we saw, and we served. And we served so that the protesters had the opportunity to exercise their right and be safe. But it was completely impeded and interrupted by violent rioters that came from out of state. I've said this before and I say it again. Could you imagine I came from out of state to someone's house, knocked on their door. They opened the door. I punched them in the face. And they hit me back to overcome resistance and aggression. And then I sue and I get $21,500. Well, that's exactly what happened that day. Because the police department was there doing their job with extreme professionalism, trying to allow the protesters to exercise their right. Even though they were impeding traffic, they were impeding the public from pedestrian walkways. It was a time of COVID. People were wearing masks. No one should be in close proximity at the time. Everyone was in fear of the unknown. COVID was in the inception. And yet, the police department was there bearing the pain and suffering. And then Kenneth Corey is going to sell them out in his retirement. So he's going to pan into left, possibly get himself a spot on CNN. Or maybe, I don't know, I don't know if he has sons and daughters. It paved the way for them for the New York City Police Department. But I think that his talking points are completely farce and he needs to touch a reality. So I agree with you. Enough with you, Kenneth Corey. Enjoy your retirement. I, I, I really don't want to be spitting out your name anymore because I just think it's completely ridiculous. I have never heard you speak anything about the atrocities of the Civilian Complaint Review Board, stuff that's going on City Council. Why don't you attend one of those meetings just like John and I did and actually taking a stand in retirement? Here's an opportunity for you to tell the truth. But no, you won't. You're going to find yourself your new pathway and some other job so that you have prestige. Because obviously it's not about money. You have an extreme, excessive amount of money that's going to be coming in your pocket from your pension. So it's obviously it's not money. But you you sure need the fame that gives you significance and purpose. So John, let's 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 talk about something I've been dying to talk about. The Sal Sal Greco. I hope that you're listening. Keep fighting. We got your back. Uh, complete support. I'm super proud of you. Uh, I mean, he's been working hard. He's probably exhausted. He's been on every radio show possible, expressing his opinions, the atrocities, the wrongful termination that he suffered, and the friendship that he has with Roger Stone which is uh, complete hypocrisy from Cardi B being paraded around the New York City Police Department as a role model and a, 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 a talking expert to young girls for girl talk. The, I, I'm curious. I would love to reach out. And if any parents from the 88 precinct, the parents of an explorer, if you don't agree with this, please reach out to New York's Finance for Time to fill the podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts about Cardi B giving girl talk to your young daughters. I'm sure you don't agree with it as, as I do. I, I'm sorry, as I don't. So, Mayor Adams had a conference where he addressed Chief Holmes, who was now former Chief Holmes, who was given a, a raise and a promotion as the commissioner of probation. And Mayor Adams chuckled. And if you ask me, he was talking to you and I, John. He was talking about the critics. He was talking directly to us. And he, he, said, he said how the critics don't agree with it. But the only thing that he's upset about is that he wasn't invited and he wasn't there. And in addition to that, he said that Cardi B should not be discarded. Even though she has committed crime, she was arrested. She should not be discarded. And that's why he was... He was elected as mayor because he was arrested as well. Well, you know what? So was Roger Stone. He was arrested. 
Where is his second chance? Why was he discarded? Why is Don Greco discarded for having a friendship with him? Why are all the cops, all the city workers that did not comply with the forced vaccine mandate, they were discarded? John, what are your thoughts? I mean, spoken like the true communist that he is, right? Criminals <laughs> could be reformed. Criminals are just victims of society. The people that we need to get rid of and need to be silenced and could starve and die in the street and probably we could do even worse to them, those are the people that dissent, the people that don't go along with the narrative. Spoken like a true communist, I mean, I said it before, I'll say it again. Eric Adams is a leftist white man with black skin. That's all he is. He is fulfilling the role. He says some good stuff sometimes. He never does any of them. He is a far-left communist. He doesn't discard anyone. He doesn't discard shooters. He doesn't discard hookers who rob and, and drug people and steal from them. He doesn't discard any criminal whatsoever. But he discarded Sal Greco for being friends with Roger Stone. He discarded thousands of people. He destroyed thousands of generations in New York City of hardworking, of the best of New York City, hardworking immigrants of all colors, of all religions, of all races, of all socioeconomic backgrounds that worked hard for the city, that devoted themselves to the city, that worked out there during the pandemic. He left them out the street to starve and die with no health care. He doesn't discard anyone. He's full of shit. He has no moral character. And because of that, like I said, in my heart of hearts, I have no hate towards Eric Adams. I don't. I have a lot of fun blasting him on social media, 100%, because he's a boob. He's incompetent. He was a terrible cop. He's an even worse mayor, but he's a terrible person. Eric, you're a horrible, horrible person. You discard anyone you don't agree with. You're an awful person. And he comes up the other day and he starts talking about God. Save it, bro. You're going to speak to him one day. And believe me, it's not going to be a good conversation. John, do you have the video clip from the conference? Are you able to play it? I don't. I erased it. I don't. I, I think I, I, I never even saved it, to be honest with you. Well, to the public out there, my police officers, if you had an opportunity to see this conference, I think it's, it's, it's a great opportunity to actually dissect it. You should watch it again. And if, we, if anyone, if you haven't seen it, you need to Google it and, and watch it. It's, it's really imperative that you actually listen to the words he says. I think he's making a mockery of, of, of the termination of Sal Greco. John, you used this words before, and I really agree with it. You said they're drunk with power. And, and I think he's boasting his power. And, and it, it's almost, I, I believe that he's gloating. But hey, you know what? We can do whatever we want. We can manipulate the rules. We can manipulate policy for whoever and whatever we want. And we can manipulate policy to have whoever we want and whatever we want terminated and removed. And that's what they did to Sal Greco. And they did it to Dana Martillo as well. And she lost 40 vacation days for wearing a Donald Trump patch on her vest. You and I are pretty expressive of adamant. We don't agree with unaltered uniforms. I do agree that uniforms uh, should be exactly that, in uniformity. However, if it's good for one or not good for one, there has to be uniformity in the way that we address it. But that's not what we're saying. It's always... it's. It's the same game, but each each plays are different rules. And what Mayor Adams said and what he did is completely reflective 
it's almost like I said, he's gloating. And you know what, Sal Greco, I don't even care if you get paid. We can do what we want. It doesn't matter. Drag this on, and we're going to dangle this right in front of your face. But you know what? Sal Greco showed he's a man of courage. He stood his ground, and he's going to continue to fight, and he's going to win this battle, and ultimately he's going to win the war. But I can tell you this. If anyone believes that Chief Holmes was fired and removed from the police department, you're sadly mistaken. Chief Holmes was given a raise as commissioner of probation, and she was honored for having Carter be in the New York City Police Department. I call it hush money. I'm pretty confident there was a conversation. They sat in a round table and said, listen, you're going to take this one for the team. Sal Greco has amended his lawsuit. We need to come up with a game plan. We're going to remove you as the chief so that you're not part of the uniform services anymore. But we're going to give you a raise. You're going to be commissioner of probation. Maybe one day when Commissioner Sewell decides to wake up and she doesn't want to be a puppet anymore for the New York City Police Department, because I heard she's a very intelligent lady and very capable, but we haven't had an opportunity to see that. When she moves on to her next career, her next facet, you'll be the police commissioner. Sounds tasty, does it? So we're going to give you a raise. And she got what I refer to as hush money. Shame on her. Another one. Where is your moral principle? Uh, uh, honestly, it, 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 it disgusts me at this point. Is anyone going to stand up other than John McCary, who was forced out because of the vaccine man, he stood up for his moral principles. Eric Tim, who decided that if I can't be paid and trained to do what's necessary to keep the, uh, keep the police, to, uh, I'm sorry, not the police department, keep the community safe by working in the police department, then this is the pathway. And Sal Greco, who stands up for anyone that, who could be terminated by the discipline matrix being weaponized against you. Where is anybody else standing up for these cops right now? Where? Well, the, police the cops are on an island all by themselves. Go ahead, John. The police commissioner is standing up for them. The police, you know, because she's such a great lady and she would never, she didn't uh, agree with the Cardi B thing whatsoever. But what she did agree with is taking a profession that has the most oversight in the world and starting a brand new inspections unit called whatever the fuck it's called. It doesn't even matter what it's called. But let's start a brand new inspection unit. So all the messages I get, and I never even bash the lady. I don't. And she deserves way worse. And so does Pat Lynch, by the way, deserves way worse than we ever gave him, than I ever gave him. I made a few memes. We'll cry a little bit. You know, he deserves way worse. And so does she. Right. We're in the middle of a suicide crisis. We're in the middle of all this. And what's going on? You guys are getting hammered for white socks, for beards. I'll be the first one to say, I don't like sloppy cops. I don't like the beard. I don't like the stupid knit cap. They open the pathway for this shit with the fucking beard, with the knit cap, with you don't need a tie when you're in long sleeves, with all this stupid shit. You don't need the turtleneck under the under if you don't have a tie on anymore. It looks sloppy. She opened the pathway for all of it. And now we're sending another unit out to to hammer you guys. That's basically what's going on is you're just going to get hammered. And, you know, Eric, Eric brought it up. We were talking about it and it's just another, you're going to get hammered for, I don't know, anything. You have a part in your hair. Your beard is, is, doesn't look neat, but maybe it is, but they just need a CD that day because some sergeant doesn't want to go out and do fucking patrol. So he'd rather just give you a CD 
And, and really, you got no rights anyway, so it's super easy. Whether you were shaved or you weren't shaved, I could give you a fucking CD any way I want. I, it's, totally, it's totally discriminatory, however I could say it. Oh, he's got a beard, but you know he's really religious, so I'm not going to give him the CD, but he is. Whatever it is, however you want to shape it, I mean, you're getting a CD for that so that someone doesn't have to go out and do patrol. You're going to get hammered for that. And really, what's happening? Is it a big deal? I would say I, in years past, I would say no, like getting a minor violation, get a CD. You know, I, I, I would laugh. I would put myself in the minor <laughs> violation. In years past, it was a joke, right? Like, but now here we are. Now here we are is this is going to build up your disciplinary history, which is going to give you factors that are going to weaponize that disciplinary matrix. So in case we need to get rid of you because you're in a politically charged incident, we will. And that's what's happening. You know, it's just scary that these things are happening. And it's unfortunate, I would say, that a majority of the police officers and the rank and file, and even the upper echelon in the police department, has not actually delved in and actually read the discipline matrix. We talk about this constantly in the podcast. If you have not read that discipline matrix, you are doing yourself a disservice. You have to read that discipline matrix over and over. I read it thoroughly. I read it so many times. And every time I read it, I found something that I missed. It's something that was overlooked. And realize how detrimental that this, this document can be utilized to hurt you, to end your career. And it, we saw it. And we're seeing it now. It was weaponized to terminate Sal Greco for a politically charged incident. What's politically charged? Who he associates with. In any event, we've seen it throughout the years. You've seen it in your tenure, and so have I. Those that have had criminal association ties, they've, it was punitive. They lost penalty days. I've never seen anyone terminated other than Sal Greco. This is the new era with the discipline matrix that can be weaponized against you. If you are not in alliance or in line with the NYPD's perception of where you should be as a cop. And now it's about identity politics and it's about identifying with the left. And if you're Sal Greco in your alliance and you're identifying with the right, you're finished. The police department will find a way to weaponize and terminate you. And it may seem simplified. Uh, uh, command discipline is an in-house in-house penalty that's meant for correction it's meant to create discipline amongst your priests and on the location where you work but because of the discipline matrix if you get enough command discipline and you get charges and you get civilian complaints these can be mounted up against you in a three-year period as aggravating factors and coupled with your rank your time on the job and if need be if you're on the radar you can be terminated. If you don't believe me, you need to look at that discipline matrix and you need to look at the presumptive the presumptive penalties, the mitigating, and then you need to look at the aggravating factors. And if it doesn't give you chills, there's something wrong with you. You need to read it and say, oh my God, I could be fired and terminated for pretty much anything. If they don't like you, if you don't fit the diversity angle that they need right now, if you if your alliance is with politics that are not agreed upon, you may be the target of an overzealous police department that needs to have you removed because of your identity and who you identify with. John, you say it. Ultimately, it's part of a bigger picture, which is part of a layoff. 
It's part of removing tier two. It's part of removing alpha males, removing alpha females, making this a weak, soft police department, losing its masculinity. I didn't say losing men, losing its masculinity. If need be, please refer to our, one of our former podcasts. John, what number is it when we talk about masculinity? Do you know? I think it's 50. Please <laughs> refer to refer to our podcast when we talk about masculinity. Law enforcement is a masculine profession. We've lost it. Our department has become soft and weak, timid, meek, and docile. And when they cannot protect you. John, I don't know if you have the video, if you could play it, but there was an incident that happened recently where two police officers were in a tussle in the Lower East Side in the East Village. Ultimately, they were attacked. One of the police officers fell down, was obviously injured, and it was a crowd that was completely celebratory. The police officers are weakened. The perpetrators are emboldened. And the crowd is excited by it. And so if the police department can't help you, who can't? No, yeah. I don't have the video here. I have it. all this stuff's on my social media. I don't bring them over sometimes. <laughs> I probably should. But I just don't. It's all on my Instagram. So if you want to look at it. But the video, I mean, that video is the last 40, 50 police videos we've seen of police fighting, right? And, and, you know, everyone makes fun of the cops. And, and again, this is the diaphragm law. And even them trying not to violate the diaphragm law, they violated they violate the diaphragm law, right? They, the only thing they could do is resort to punching him. But he didn't want to punch him too hard. And he didn't want to punch him too much because he needed it to look good, too. Because that's the other thing. <laughs> you, can't follow your, you, you can't just go by your training and use strikes and use your pepper spray or use your ass or use anything um, because you have to worry about it looking good too for our New York city mayor, Eric Adams, who was a great cop. You know, he made 11 arrests, none on his own fruition, but he made 11 of them, you know, so you needed to look good too. So, I mean, this is, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing cops who are afraid of being arrested and they have all the reason to have that fear because it's there. They're, they did not write the diaphragm law to not use it. They did not write the disciplinary matrix to not use it. So I don't blame these guys whatsoever. That is the norm now. There is no fear. And what do those cops know in the back of their head? Regardless what happens, that kid's walking out the door. And three years later, or maybe in retirement, like Eric did, you'll be getting deposed. And you might be held personally liable. And that kid might be getting your pension, even though he initiated the contact. He was wrong and he struck you first. And now you're in a fight for your life and you're going to be judged eight ways to Sunday when this kid got a ticket and walked out the door three hours later. So I'm not knocking those cops at all. I'm knocking the chief of training. I'm knocking the chief of department. I'm knocking all the soft white guys who ran this job the last 10 years. That's who I'm knocking. And I'll throw the black guys in on top of it, too, because you guys ain't saying anything either. The ones that speak out. Oh, Madri said one thing at a press conference. KLS hasn't done one thing. Hasn't done one thing. The only thing I seen him do good was the article that came out where he looked out for one of his former guys and he got him off a bullshit charge. That was it, because I I wouldn't have collared the guy, but I wouldn't have went and spoke either to the sergeant once the arrest was made. For uh, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that video. Sorry to go off on a on a tangent with that one. No, but. no, no. I I, I agree. Uh, you know, uh, 
I, I spoke to a reporter from the city uh, who had wrote that article. And, and I thought the article was quite interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I had given my take on it. And I would not want to be the sergeant that was put in that position. And you and I spoke about this. Technically, by the book, he did do the right thing. But doing the right thing by the book is not always necessarily doing the right thing for the bigger picture. I think an incident like that is questionable if this retired uh, police officer actually removed his firearm. But I don't think an arrest was imminent. Why? Because he does have that firearm legally. He's a retired police officer. So if it was someone that had the firearm illegally, I think arrest is imminent because we don't want the, their hands on a firearm. In this case, I do think this could have been deferred to the Internal Affairs Bureau. I think let them make an unbiased approach to it and actually do their investigation. It should be completely thorough. Now, in addition to that, you and I have been pretty expressive and we've called out the faults of chiefs, but we've also honored Chief Madry for uh, having a, a moment of clarity and actually sticking up for his cops at some type of a board meeting or some type of town meeting that he was at. Now, in this case, I, I do think it showed some humanity, which is great. He responded. He knew this cop. And we all know it was bullshit. He shouldn't. I mean, the incident, I'm not saying it's bullshit, but he should have been arrested by the sergeant of the scene. I think internal affairs could have, could have worked this out. Now, but if that was you, John, or that was myself, or that was Sal Greco, or someone else, would Chief Manji have responded to our aid and had our arrest voided? Absolutely not. This is just another form of nepotism. Hey, I, I do understand he did show some humanity. Um, now, some will say, well, it's wrong. You know, he's a police officer. Um, he's getting special treatment. Yes or no? And I'll say this. Any job that you have, there should be a perk. If you work at Best Buy, if you work at Walmart, you work at Home Depot, if you go to buy something, you go to get a discount. That's a perk for working there. If you were a police officer and you served the New York City Police Department or any police department honorably you served or you were in the military, you should be given some latitude and there should be a thorough investigation. You should be get, given the benefit of the doubt because you always held to a higher standard. That doesn't mean you should not be arrested and you should not have to oblige by the law. But there should be some benefit of doubt given. Again, in this case, the, fi the firearm is possessed legally. I do think time was on, this, on the side of an investigation. Now, I, I, enough of that subject. But, but I, I, I do think that uh, there are a lot of angles to dissect. And again, I wouldn't want to be the sergeant in that position. It's a, it's a horrible position. John, I know you were in internal affairs. Would that be appropriate to refer that for the Internal Affairs Bureau, or do you think that arrest was immediate? No, I don't think it's... So he's retired, so IB is not getting involved at all. So right. he's retired, Internal Affairs is not getting involved at all. I don't blame the sergeant for making the collar. I wouldn't have, my personally, myself, I wouldn't have. I know that they described the firearm. They said it was black and silver. There was yeah. zero video of him pulling the firearm out, and the youth did commit a crime. So myself, I would have 90 yellowed the whole job. I would have 90 yellowed the whole job. Your camera not damaged. This, these kids, nobody got shot. Nobody got hurt. I would have 90 yellowed the whole job. Obviously, he's an off-duty cop. He has a firearm. Did he say I have a gun and these kids saw something? I don't know. I don't know. Was there probable cause? Maybe. Is it strong? I don't think so. Um, I wouldn't have called. 
But I'll tell you right now, if I was the chief of department and a sergeant made the decision to collar him, I wouldn't have came to the precinct and had him released and had the collar voided and done all that. I wouldn't have. I think it was real, real bad judgment on on his part to do that. Oh, but I don't blame him. And like I said, I I, I think that does show humanity. And I think that's the only time I've seen him stand up for cops other than at that town hall meeting in the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce when they did the crime summit. Other than that, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see anything. And, you know, and I hear one of his detectives is actually running around one police plaza. And he's like, he's like got the assimilated rank of a three-star chief. He's telling one-star chiefs what they got to do. He's getting people transferred. Um, so, you know, I'm like, you have, you have one, you have the guy that's been driving you forever, running around, running the job, almost in the assimilated rank of chief. I'm like, that's, it's not cool. You know, it's not cool. It, it's it's poor judgment. If it was anybody else, I think it would be front cover of the paper. And I think they would already be stepping down. Um, again, I'm not knocking them for the incident because I wouldn't even have made the arrest. But I think it shows poor judgment like we've seen in the past with him. Um, and yep. that's that's just my take on that. I think it was a good article. I think it was written well. I think that it, it was great talking points. And I think that this this is one of those cases where the initial arrest is is very subjective. It's open to perception. It's open to opinion. Again, I, you know, these are, these were kids. I do think that they're just kids. They would be mischievous. Yes, they did commit a crime, but, but they're kids. They'd be mischievous. I think in most cases, not just a police officer, but a parent. I mean, I remember when we were kids, if we did something wrong, the parents would have came out and yelled at us or, or pursued us. Unfortunately, I think we lost that sense of community. It's now become a crime. I mean, I do think that what happened to that 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 culture that we had, where the community policed our kids. Uh, now I understand they described the fire on this and that. I, I don't know exactly what that happened, but what happened to the days where parents, people of the community, policed our kids? You know, and said, you know, get off that corner, don't do that. You know, don't throw the basketball at this fence. Or, you know, kids will be mischievous. Yes. But we have to police them. And this is a really tough one. I think we could look at this in so many different ways. Uh, again, I agree with you. I, I don't think it should have been an, an, an immediate arrest. It could have been an investigation. And, and possibly, as you said, just you know, an, an unnecessary response. Yeah, I just don't think I don't think it's a strong case. And that's it. If he wasn't a retired cop, I don't think he would have got caught. If he was just, you know, like... You wouldn't even search them. That that like that's the other thing that's get you know I I don't know whatever. And and end of the day, like I said, I wouldn't have made the collar. I just think it was a poor, a poor case of judgment for someone in that is the chief of department. I think it's it's poor judgment, you know. And he was the chief of community affairs at the time. He was a three star chief. I mean, at, at many times he has the assimilated rank of police commissioner. I think it was poor judgment. Um, I think poor judgment again is. Watching another chief, chief of transit now, um, Kemper, um, he's now touting a decline in subway crime, which there is. But how does he do it? How does he get subway crime down? How does he get a 26% drop in subway crime from last year? He refers to broken windows, Derry. He has you guys going out, writing old summonses that aren't worth shit. They're not worth anything. You give a guy a million old summonses, nothing's going to happen to him. It doesn't hold the same weight as a criminal summonses. It doesn't hold the same weight as an arrest. 
But even with just that interaction alone of you giving someone a piece of paper that's worth the same as this piece of paper, here you go, here's your name on it, I took your name down and I'm stopping them. We've seen a, a drastic drop in crime and transit crime, 26%. Is it enough? Absolutely not. Um, it's definitely not enough, but th there's more to be done. But even with just doing that, it shows how broken windows theory works and how enforcing minor crimes will drive crime down. And he's doing that while sending you guys and girls out there with the disciplinary matrix, with an overzealous CCRB, with you being overworked, underpaid, all of these things. You're not getting your days off. You're being ordered all this overtime. Um, I think, again, it's poor judgment. And I think it's very contradictory to the things that we hear constantly in the media that, oh, we're a different department. We don't believe in the mistakes of the past. We don't believe in that. We want to bring everyone, the cops and community together. Um, so I don't know what the message is. Like, they're not saying it's broken windows theory, but that's what it is. I love to highlight when Chief Kemper talks about the reduction of crime. He always has this one line, and I caught it in the article. However, if we do not look at 2021, again, I want to say that it's a 26% reduction, but let's not count 2021. How do you think the people, how do you think the people at New York City that rode the subway in 2021? And now ride the subway after that. How do you think they should feel about that? I mean, you should think the guy's an idiot. I mean, I, it, 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 like, again, I, I think we spoke about it on one of the prior episodes. What's the logic? What's the logic of removing 2021 on that? Are you saying that crime is only crime goes up when there's more ridership? When there's less ridership, when there's more ridership, crime goes down. So you're saying the transit police do not affect crime. You're saying the New York City Police Department does not affect the crime rate. You're saying that the things the New York City Police Department does do not matter. The only thing that matters is ridership. Well, ridership was down when crime was up. Well, did the transit police work from home? No. Did we have less transit police then? No, we actually had more. We actually had more. Did they get overtime then? Yes, they did. Were they getting as much as they are now? No, but this is to the point of exhaustion. So that overtime, you're not, it's not even, that overtime is not even effective, right? They're checked out. They don't even want to be there anymore, you know? And, 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 and that was another thing that, that to go back on to Corey. And, uh, and Ken, if you listen to this, you're always welcome on here anytime to come on to bunk anything we said. But to go back on him, that's another thing he said in that article where he said, oh, I was a different generation where we killed for overtime. You were a different generation where you got to sleep at night and you got to take some days off and you got a couple of RDOs and you could take off every now and then. So that, that argument is out the window. These guys haven't seen their family in months. They're not sleeping. They're not eating. <clears throat> they're under tremendous stress that you were not under for the overwhelming majority of your career. You have no idea what it's like, what the pressures that these men and women are under. So, you know, it, the whole logic behind it is just, it's just heavily flawed. And again, it just shows incompetence. It just shows another soft white man willing to say and do anything. To, to, for, for, for what? A, a bump in $5,000 a year? A, another job somewhere working for some leftist organization? Like, it's pathetic. 
That's why I like to send a message to Chief Kepper. If you have an opportunity, if you watch this podcast, and we're pretty sure that you do, uh, based on some information that we have, but I don't want to reveal all the cards that we have. So when you watch this podcast, I, I like to send a message to you. First of all, I want to say thank you that you're still wearing the uniform. But you and I know that it's just an outright lie that you have provided to the public. For many years, the police department, including yourself as the chief of transit, had the capability and the ability to manipulate the public and along with the media by twisting and circumventing the index crimes, circumventing the rise of crime with manipulation. And when it comes to statistics, any numbers can be manipulated. But it's an outright lie what you're telling the public. But thanks to New York's finest retirement filter podcast, we are going to identify the problem, uh, problematic issues that you give to the public, and we are going to tell the truth, and we're going to give it unfiltered. And what you're saying is a complete, outright lie. We cannot take any year or any month or any day and say that it doesn't count. Every day counts because your logic, and I've said it before on prior podcasts, your logic does not make sense at all because your logic is when there is more ridership that there is less crime. And if that was the case, we shouldn't have any crime in Times Square because Times Square, Times Square is the mecca for population. There are more t tourists in Times Square than anywhere in the world. That is the center of the universe. If you stand on any corner in Times Square, you could get lost in a sea of people. I've been there numerous times doing overtime. Yes, I enjoyed working overtime too. It passed the pension. And I agree with what John's saying. I'm going to say this as a generalized statement. There were many good cops years prior to the inception of CompStat. But CompStat in the beginning, the ideology and the theory of it, it was good. It was to hold commanders accountable and to ensure that police officers are strategically placed in the right locations and they're actually doing their job, according to the broken windows theory. And I'm going to say this because I've heard the conversations and I've heard the scuttlebutt throughout the police department that before CompStat, most of the police officers were not engaged in the public in the matter that they did when John and I were on the job, what they do now. Some of those, especially in transit, would hide out in those transit rooms and get many hours of sleep on job time. Not everyone, but a good majority of them did, and they weren't held accountable in the manner that the police officers are now, where they have to be visible, where they have to make sure that they have two phones, their personal phone, because they will be called upon numerous, and that they have the job phone, and that the job phone has a sticker on it, so it's identifiable is that they're not using their personal phone. Their police officers are constantly badgered for activity. Yes, we're back to getting activity. Cops text me on a constant basis. They're held, go out and get a certain number amount of arrest and summonses. Why? To bring down crime. But what does that also do? That puts our police officers a risk of being a target of an overzealous civilian complaint review board. John, I'm extremely proud of you. I could not attend the New York City Council meeting that you attended the hearing. And what I heard there was completely despicable. I wish I had the video now. But it's important for the cops that are out there. If you if you have an opportunity, John, I think you have an Instagram, right? Or, uh, or Twitter. Twitter, yeah. I have it all. Please. You need to listen to the underling of Jonathan Darsh, who's the executive director of the Civilian Complaint Review Board. The information that she provided, that she testified to, that 
when they conduct their investigations, the civilian complaint review board, the self-preservation of a police officer, if under attack by bricks or mortars or gunfire or anything, is never, never accounted for and not taken into account for their investigation. Only is the perception of the civilian and of what they felt in their encounter is part of their investigation. John, would you like to shed some light on this? Because I heard it from the video. I saw it. I had to watch it several times because I couldn't believe what I was hearing. What I was hearing, but you actually sat through it live. Please give your thoughts on this. Yeah. So Arva Rice, who's the chair for CCRB, she reiterated a statement that me and Eric heard when we attended the monthly CCRB meeting, and the statement was, "We are the Civilian Complaint Review Board. We only <laughs> look at what the civilian says." And Alva Rice repeated that statement when she was asked by Bob Holden when he said, well, in the middle of a riot, you know, when bricks are being thrown at you, when Molotov cocktails are being thrown at you, when all of these things are being thrown at you and self-preservation is there, do you take into account any of the scenario around you? And she clearly stated, we're the Civilian Complaint Review Board. We're only there for that. We're only here for the civilian." to basically advocate to jam up the cop for the civilian. That's There was no other way around it. I mean, the, her statement was damning. It was so damning that Jonathan Darsh had to make a statement after it because he even was like, oh, my God, I can't believe she just said that. Um, you know, and it's – but it's very telltale. I mean, and, and, and again, I, I would say maybe she could have mixed it up and maybe she's incompetent or she's a bad speaker. Very possible, but again, that was the same statement that was reiterated when we attended by one of our underlings. So that is not that is the consensus of what is being told down there, and it's just it's it's honestly it's again it, you're you're being sent out there to you're being sent out there as like lambs to the slaughter. They don't give a shit about you. Um, you know, it's 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 really really. It's very telltale. I mean, and the exodus is speeding up. It's speeding up. People are leaving in droves. And the only answer for it is to go back on to pay, which, yes, is a, is a starting pay for a police officer abysmal. Yes. Is the, the pay for top pay cop abysmal? Yes, it is. It's horrific. It's horrendous. Uh, you know, we get we get told a lot that we're too hard on Pat Lynch, that we're too hard on the PBA, we're too hard on the unions. We expect too much. It's my contention. It's their fault. It's my contention that they work. They work directly hand in hand with the city of New York, and it is directly their fault why we are in the situation that you guys are in. Perb was an awful, awful strategy. I'm not beating them up over over anything other than the fact of it. The fact is the pay disparity between every other police agency in New York City is the fault of the unions. And that is it. I agree with you completely. Again, we heard another audio that had emanated from a PBA monthly meeting. Most of that conversation was about contract talk. In addition to that, the pilot program well, the potential pilot program for a new chart for the police officers that's going to be initiated in the Bronx. So it's subject to change, obviously. It's no concrete information on it. It's been the topic of discussion by the PBA during the meeting. 
It's going to be, a, uh, as I said before, a pilot program in the Bronx. supposed to start in 4.7, 4.5 precinct, PSA 8, and transitional 11. Now, that it sounds great. It really does. I mean, I, I've been saying that for years. Police officers in New York City need a better chart, less commutes, better for quality of life, less appearances. Definitely better quality of life because you spend so much time at work. It, most uh, the average amount uh, of hours that a police officer, sergeant, lieutenant works at the average, I would say, is eight hours and thirty minutes. Some were eight hours and twenty-three. Some is eight thirty-five. Some is eight fifty-seven. So I would say the average is about eight hours and thirty minutes. With that, most cases, police officers, sergeants, lieutenants do not make enough money to actually reside within New York City, so they reside in these outside counties. But some police officers that commute to work is an hour and a half, sometimes two hours with traffic each way. So with an eight out with eight and a half hour tour, your tour is over 12 hours substantially, and you have to appear five times in one week. So the idea of a new chart, I think, is a fantastic idea. I hope that it actually goes through. But I think this is deflection from actual contract talk. I've seen rumors, texts have, have come around that I have received, and potential amount of of payouts that police officers may get it's different contracts and it may go up to 2024 and i asked the cops is this concrete well it's it's through the rumor mill again i i think we're going back i think this is a two con two-year contract at a perb that's coming out i think the the pba right now this election because I think they believe that Corey Grable has a horse in this race and if he does God bless again we are not taking any stance and we're not siding with anyone at this point we just want to give a platform an opportunity for them to present their ideas explain why they're the best candidate now I've heard that we have been too hard on Pat Lynch but when you're in a position as such you should expect us to be hard hold you accountable you get paid handsomely you're in a, a hierarchy position and you have substantial amount of perks for it so, yes, you must be held accountable. And I think that what I heard in this meeting, again, I hear we will never, never take zeros. I think it's a mistake to use the words never. Yes, you should not take zeros for an entire four-year period. But if there are going to be zeros for two, three months to have a contract that's up to date and you're not giving up health and welfare or other things and you're getting that compound interest and you're not behind into credit card debt, and you have the car, the necessary car, and the necessary house that you want. Well, I think it's a give and take. Zeros may be acceptable at some point. So the answer never, I, I think, is just so that they can keep their foot down and, and stand by a decision that they know is wrong. Things evolved. To say never, it just doesn't coincide with the way inflation is moving, the way the cops have to adapt. They're behind. And this retro, it, it, it looks great. It may be sexy. If you get a retro for 30000 40000 it's sexy. It's a substantial amount of money. But how much have you lost in your pension? Uh, yeah, and whatever the numbers are, I'm going to say it again. The bargaining's been over. The numbers have been sitting on his desk. <laughs> you know, the bargaining's over. So I don't know, again, like you can sell whatever you want. And it's very telltale that he won't come on here and talk to us. Um, very, very, very telltale. Send you little cronies to bash us all day. Spread little rumors about us. It's fine. Care less. The bottom line is everybody knows you're a coward. You won't come on here because you're a phony. You're a car salesman. And that's the bottom line. I hope the guy's got a good contract. I hope you negotiated a good contract. I don't think you did. I already gave. I'm, st I'm not going off my initial thing. So, and, and I hear, and here we go again. Like, what was his, what was his whole meeting about this time he gave you the dc 37 numbers 
He gave you the DC 39, and then he gave you a sacrificial lamb. This guy's, I might suck, but this guy was stealing from the organization, this guy, Anthony Gambino, and he violated the bylaws of the BBA. We have the bylaws. He violated them. Anthony Gambino, that vote was not to happen that way. Anthony Gambino is not a trustee. He is not a board member. That is not how that vote is supposed to happen. Um, yes, the command went and got 75% of the vote. That means that Anthony Gambino is still a delegate as of today. And the command needs to vote and cast a revote. And then that, after that vote, he will be removed. That board meeting was a sham. It was a crock of shit. It was political theatrics. And again, it was to deflect from the, the contract talks. And again, we're talking about all oh, the DC 37 and the settling. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. I'm not buying it. Nobody should. Uh, where's your contract? Where's your contract? Bring it out. And honestly, at this point, if it doesn't come out and it gets closer to the election and, and maybe you don't like Corey Grable, why the fuck <laughs> would you cast a vote for Pat Lynch? And why the fuck would you support any delegate that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for Pat Lynch. Maybe it's time you guys start thinking about who's going to run in the commands as delegates. Who's going to get 75% of the vote? If 75% of you aren't happy in your command, take a vote, get your delegate removed. If he's coming back and selling you, oh, we're working on this and we're working on that and the healthcare. First it was the healthcare, now it's DC 37. What's it going to be? When the DC 37 contract is ratified and you still don't have a contract, what is the bullshit you guys are all going to believe at that point? Because it, you'll, and, and I don't even want to hear about it. I'm not even going to talk about it. When, when I get messages, I'm not even going to fucking respond to it. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to say, no, 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 you're waiting for DC 37 to be ratified. And before that, and before that, you were just, you were just waiting for the, see what the healthcare and they didn't know anything about it. You're being played like a fiddle. It's pathetic. It honestly is. Honestly, I would say right now, release the contract or we ain't voting for you. That's it. End the story. Release it. I agree. And what's upsetting to me is that I guess the cops want to hold on to hope because at this point, it's just been stretched so long without a contract. And ultimately, they don't want to be sitting there with nothing. So they have to hold on to hope. I think that's the only thing they have at this point. And, and they know that Pat Lynch is, the, is their only alternative right now. I mean, it, these elections have been shanghai This has been monopolized for Pat Lynch and, and, and his administration. So this is all the cops know. So what else are they to believe? They've never heard anything else other than the opportunity that we gave Corey Grable to give his platform. They've never heard another potential candidate. They've never heard any other ideas. They have to hold on what Pat Lynch says because that's all they have. So in the end, all the cops have is hope, hope, hope. And I think that Pat Lynch and his administration is really playing on that. And they're playing the cops. The, you know, let's sidetrack. Let's not talk about the, the contract right now because we have it. It's in our pocket, but we can't release it yet. So we're going to talk about these charts that may never actually come. We're going to give you hope because it's sexy. The idea of a change of chart, it is better for your quality of life. And it's a deflection from you thinking about your contract. But as John said it, I think that's the best statement. Out of, We need to say no more other than where is it? Where is the contract? 
where and when. That's all I have to ask. If there is a contract, where is it? Very simple. That's all we should hear. You should know flat out at this point, we're going on almost a decade. Are we at, it's over five years, is it not? Almost six years? Almost That's almost a decade. It's almost. Yeah, almost. It's not. It's not a twenty-six percent. It's it's twenty-five point five percent. I mean, for most of the cops, this is a quarter of their career. A quarter of their career, they have not had a contract, and this is all they know. And they're dangling this carrot. Ah, you might get the twelve-hour tours. It's sexy. Three on, three off. You know. And then I heard some stuff along with that. I'm like, is this for real? So if I'm doing a 12-hour tour, but I go to the range, I it's going to be considered an eight-hour day. So now I owe the police department four hours. Who's going to account for that? How is this going to work? Because I know, you and I know, again, the police department does a great job leaving a lot of room for nepotism because how many people are going to pay those four hours and how many aren't? The job does everything ambiguous to leave room for problems. I know Eric Dibb's going to give the four hours. I know John Vicari is. What about Richard Shea? You think he's going to all four hours? I don't know. I think not. It's crazy, man. I don't know. I'm just, I, I again, I don't know. If Corey Grable not your guy, is Pat Lynch your guy? I mean, I'll tell you right now, if I was a cop, neither of them my guy. I'm not checking the box. I'm not checking the box for president. I'll vote for the trustees. I'll vote for whatever, whoever else is on that ballot. I'm not checking the box right now. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied with nobody. Um, that's how I look at it. I don't know. I, I, I think it's pathetic. I think you guys are being strung along. I've been saying it for months now. Obviously, here we are. You're still being strung along. I hope the contract comes out. It's not here. Pat Lynch won't come on here. He doesn't need to talk to you. He doesn't need to explain himself. He has all his underlings do it. It's fine. It's good. Keep. So let's see what happens after the DC 37 contracts ratified. What, what is the next thing? That's all I got to say. That's all I really got to say on it. And, and, and the fact of, 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 of what Gambino, what happened there, he's technically still a delegate. That whole thing was a sham. The whole thing was a dog and pony show. Um, that, that vote needs to happen for him to get out. And, uh, I just think it was, I just, again, I just think it just bought them another month. That's all that was to me. It was political theater. They sent a sacrificial lamb. That's how I see that. No, it's pretty interesting to me that most of the cops I spoke to said, you know, the guys are cheering us on and they love watching the show. And we're giving this, we're giving the truth and hearing police work in a a mass never heard before. But I have heard this from several people. That some of the delegates say we're too hard on Pat Lynch, they said earlier. But if that's the case, if we were too hard on Pat Lynch, then why we we have already have been outspoken and said, hey, the same questions that we gave Corey Grable, we're going to give to Pat Lynch. No difference. You you're you're extremely prepared. You all you have to do is watch Corey Grable's interview. The exact same questions we're going to give you, except in an open platform where the police officers have an opportunity to view it, and then they can watch Pat Lish's video, they can watch Corey Grable's, and then they can make their decision. And you you have, if you ask me, you actually have a better opportunity than Corey Grable had because Grable had less time to prepare for it than you do. 
time has went on time has been on your side you've been watching the podcast you know what we've been favorable to you know we've been adamant we've talked about adversity here's an opportunity for you to come on the podcast and give us your platform you will be treated with the utmost respect personally i have nothing against you i don't know you on a personal level but we have to analyze and hold you accountable for what we've seen and this is an atrocity pat lynch i ask you a question honestly if you were a police officer brand new and now you have six years on the job and you've never had a contract and this is all you heard and you've been beaten down with forced overtime and you as a new standard assessment unit checking your socks and there's an inspection unit and the civilian complaint review of it is hammering you and you had to fill out tri reports which self-initiating reporting yourself for using force. And you have to have a body camera. And you're responsible for a taser. And you have to give out business cards. And marijuana is legal. And you can't use that to get inside a car to make an arrest. And you're responsible to hold a broken windows theory. And everybody hates you. And you can't wrestle anyone in the street because of the diaphragm law. And you have the discipline matrix that can be weaponized against you. And you make no money. How would you feel? Would you vote for yourself? Would you think that we're being too hard? Would you, you think that you're being too hard on yourself? Ask yourself those questions. Put yourself in the shoes of these police officers right now. They're getting everything from all different angles. Tell me the good that's happening for them right now. Don't get me wrong. I've heard you speak several times at hospitals. I've heard you speak in front of the canteen, and you got the silver tongue. You're blessed with your speeches. They sound fantastic. But we need substance, not just what they sound. We need whatever you say, what's behind it has to be done. Where is that contract? Let's get it done. Let's get these cops on the right path. Yeah, And I just think it's disingenuous when we talk about the exodus and you get all these fucking wannabe police experts and all these unions. And the only thing they cite is the contract and, and the money. It's disingenuous. I don't think it's a good strategy. I knocked them also about the diaphragm law, and I was mistaken. The PBA does have a lawsuit about the diaphragm law. Um, they did, you know, and again, as the way of the legal aspect is in New York, it takes forever and ever to go through. So they did. But where are they? Like, they don't speak on it. All these videos come out. They don't talk about it. They never use, you know, he has a pulpit when he needs a pulpit. When he needs a sacrificial lamb, he'll get it out to the media and it'll go national and it'll go off of everything. He's got a pulpit then, but he doesn't have a pulpit to stand up and fight for you guys for the many issues and oversell us and oversell a CCRB, a city council who wants to abolish you. A city council has passed these unreasonable laws that are not. And I guarantee if that lawsuit goes through, I didn't see the writing on it. I'm going to look through it at some point. I, if, 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 if it has even the slightest argument, a diaphragm law will be overturned because it's unreasonable. No one can be held to that standard. It's absolutely impossible for you to do your job under that standard. You all violate it every day. The fact that, that people haven't been charged with it yet is, is, is a non-factor for me because at some point it's going to come. It was the same it was the same argument with the masking and testing. Nobody got in trouble for not for not wearing a mask yet. And then look what happened. We're getting fired because we're not sticking something in our body, right? We just go way past that. And that's what will happen here if this president's set. And and there's not his – he hasn't used his pulpit enough. And, and it's not just him. It's all the police unions. 
you know? So like Pat Lynch, personally, I have no issue with the guy. I don't even know the guy. Could care less. Unions as a total, NYPD unions from the CEA down to the PBA, fucking useless. All of them. I mean, I got no love for any of them. I think they're doing a terrible job. I could critique them eight ways to Sunday. Oh, I made a, I made a, you know, I could, could I make a misstep here and there? Yeah, but none of you guys are happy. Let's not pretend you are. And, you know, that, I think that's it for me for the, for the contract. I don't, I don't really have much other than that, the contract and that, the, you know, what happened, what transpired at the last delegate meeting. That was it. Sacrificial lamb came up, more stall tactics. That's it. John, you had put out a post about the diaphragm law, and you really made me think. I, I can't agree with you more. I, I sat, I remember I sat there, I was thinking about it. I said, damn, wow. I realize how idiotic the diaphragm law is, but the connection that you said, I think you said in the post that, that this law would not be implemented if it wasn't meant to abolish the police. And you're 100% right because you cannot make an arrest or be in, in part of an encounter with the, with the diaphragm law. It's it's virtually, it's ultimately impossible. And you said it. So cops are vi violating this law every day because it's actually written unintentionally or intentionally. So I, I, I can tell you this. I've been training martial arts for years. You cannot control another human being, even a child, without putting any pressure on the chest or the back area. It's impossible. That's the center mass of a person. To control another human being is one of the hardest things you could ever do. And the city council, obviously, they don't know that because they've never done it. But to implement a law like that, you're 100% right. When you wrote that, I thought about it. I said, wow. It's almost as an extension of the woke movement to implement this law. Because it completely inhibits the police from actually doing their job. I think this is almost comparable to jaywalking. Jaywalking is a violation. But everybody does it every day, but nobody addresses it. But if we ever had the potential that there was a, 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 a potential murderous homicidal maniac and the only way to stop this person was for jaywalking, we would utilize it. And what I heard from the union in the past, I was an LBA delegate. I thought it was completely irresponsible. And the message was not to worry about it because the DA offices will never charge it. And that may be so. Are we going to trust them that it's never going to happen? But I, I raised the question, how about CCRB? If CCRB needs to weaponize that diaphragm law to target a police officer that they want removed, that they don't like the way they do police work because the civilian didn't like the way it felt because that's what they investigate to support the civilians. Will the civilian complaint review board weaponize the diaphragm law? Will they use that as potential termination as an aggravating factor within the discipline matrix? I believe so. A hundred percent. I mean, and they're and they're referring a lot of their new cases to the district attorney's office now. And I'm sorry, I don't trust these woke DAs at all. And somebody was messaging me about the Staten Island DA that I got it all wrong. I don't have it wrong. They're all woke. They're all letting people walk out the door. Um, is he better than the rest? Yeah. And that's not saying a damn fucking thing because they're all terrible. All five borough DAs need to go. Um I don't care who donated to that campaign. It has nothing to do with 
Soros gave them money. I could give a shit who gave the money. I'll take money from Soros too, but I'm not going to be a fucking leftist puppet and let criminals run around the street. I don't care who got what money donated to them. It's completely irrelevant to me. The fact of the matter is the majority of people that go in front of their offices are being let go. That's, that's, that's a fact. So I don't care who's better or who's worse. They're all terrible. They're all leftist DAs. CCRB is 100% going to weaponize that. If they don't get the DA to prosecute, which I don't believe it would be hard to get the DA prosecute a cop at this point um, for absolutely nothing, for things that aren't even illegal, which we've seen happen numerous times. Um, you know, 100%. They'll be, they'll be seeking termination and they'll probably get it. And... You know, but we have the best police commissioner. The only light that we have in the New York City Police Department is Key Chan Sewell, who hasn't done a fucking thing. She she let some of you guys off for not giving you business cards. She revised some complaints, very little. The ones that were nominal, the ones that didn't mean a thing, the ones that didn't get any press. Um, but here, you know, here she is. She's still living in Long Island. Police commissioners. <laughs> Uh, any deputy commissioner should have to live in New York City. I think it should be all chiefs, personally. I think, and especially the mayor, we shouldn't have a mayor sitting in an office right now who actually the only house that he's lived in in the last probably 15 years is in Fort Lee, New Jersey. So that guy should have to abide by the, the residency requirements too. But he is the top dog in the land and nobody's looking at him. So it is what it is. He lives in, uh, he lives in Gracie Mansion. And when he's not there, he's in Fort Lee, New Jersey. But he, the police commission is required to live in the five boroughs of New York City, and she doesn't. She had 90 days to move in from the time she was appointed to office. And I put it out, you know, I put that out, and everyone's like, oh, you know, we could live in Long Island. Listen, I, I'm going to always go back. I think that cops should live in New York City. I think that every cop should have to live in New York City. I don't think you could understand the intricacies of New York City without being a New York City kid. I do not believe that you can understand all the different ethnicities and religions and be able to police impartially without having to deal with all these communities. But with that being said, you guys cannot afford to live here. So it's not even an argument to have at this point. Um, I do think at some point it was feasible. When I came on, it was feasible as a young man to come on. It wasn't feasible in your 30s when you had a family. And I think that there are things that could be done to rectify that. But we don't explore any of those options because we have incompetent people in elected office. We have incompetent people pointed in leadership. So we don't explore any of that. But Key Chan Sewell does not have a problem with money at this point. She's making, I don't know, let's just, let's just give a rough estimate. She's making $225,000 a year, let's say. It's, it's definitely more than that. She has a take-home car. She has a credit card. She does not spend a lot of money. She could 100% live in New York City. Her statement is, I live six blocks outside of New York City limits. Six or seven blocks outside of New York City. Well, too bad. Listen, I got an apartment coming up for rent, Keychan Sewell. I will give you a discount. It's not even an apartment. It's beautiful place. I got a beautiful yard, pool, all that. I'll give you a discount. I'll give you a significant discount. I will rent it to you. You need to follow the rules like everybody else, because what would happen to you if one of you guys weren't happen? If you, one of you guys weren't following the residency requirements of your title, you'd be given 30 days to get a, an, a residence inside of New York City. And if you weren't, you would be terminated. This is something that there would be nothing. There would be no arguments. There would be nothing. So the same should apply for her 
rules should be applied equally. Um, she's leading by example right here and showing that rules don't matter for her. Rules for thee, not for me. And again, that's just a reflection of the ineffective leadership of the New York City Police Department, which is why they shouldn't have the right and the privilege to be called leaders. They should be called managers, as you said before. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I always believe in setting the example. I never had to tell my special operations men and women to be on time to work. I used to have this little ditty that I lived by. Before time is on time, before time is on time, on time you're late, and if you're late, you're fired. So I was always at work before the start time. My men and women knew they had to be there before or on time as well. I didn't have to tell them because they saw that I was there also. And my men and women, they were really into the job. And most of them were very good with that showing up before work. Because when you're before work, you show preparedness and you're ready to be on time. That's a reflection. That's how you set the example for your personnel. She should set the example as well. If there's a residency requirement, she should set the example and oblige by it as well. Clearly, she has enough money to support it to say that you live six blocks outside the city i mean so did that i i listen i do believe rules were made to be broken but that has to fall for everybody so now are we going to bend the rules because she can park her car six blocks away or one new turn she's back in the city it doesn't make a difference a requirement is a requirement again the nypd you said it john i love that quote i want to use it they're drunk with power she is not setting the example not setting the correct tone Again, I don't know why there's been so many people advocating, saying how great she is. I, we haven't seen it. You know, I okay, you said she's great, but can I see it? Everyone's, you know, just like when people are telling you, oh, you got to see this movie. It's a great movie. Well, how do you know it's a good movie until you see it? Well, same thing. How do I know she's a great commissioner? We haven't seen her do anything. Who's the commissioner? If I had to ask you who's the commissioner right now, I know what you're going to say. Right? It rhymes with tanks. We know exactly who it is. Right? And who's the other? I mean, it's, there's two commissioners right now. Mayor Adams, he's playing commissioner, along with Philip Banks. The two of them are sharing this. I mean, they must be high-fiving each other. You know? Ah, oh, look what we get to do. You know? We put, we put this show on. And look, we got the first female black commissioner. You know what? Again, here's another person who has the opportunity to have some moral principles. Say, so, hey, you know what? If she is that great, why is she standing up and saying, they're not letting me do my job. I can't do this job, and I'm going to step down and do something else. Listen, even if they were to fire you, someone else is going to take you on. You were the police commissioner for five minutes in New York City. Someone else would be happy. Like, hey, some department in some other state would say, hey, we have a former police commissioner for the NYPD. Anywhere, you'll thrive. But where's the moral principle? Stand up and speak out and talk about the atrocities, but no, you can't. You can't speak out again. Why? Because someone owes you a favor because you still don't, you haven't fulfilled the residency requirements. So someone has dirt on you. That's the reason. What do you think about my uh, suggestion to remove the title of chief from the New York City Police Department and just call them city managers? I absolutely love it. I mean, honestly, I know you and I had spoken about this before. But I think the last uniform rank on the job should be the commanding officers. It should be the billet commanding officer. And the rank should be up to inspector. And the, the, and the highest uniform personnel should be commanding officers. After that, everyone else should be civilian personnel that have had police training. And they should have a civilian title. It, it could be city manager, it could be anything, but it should not be chief. And that, that's my opinion. 
Commanding officer should be the highest uniform rank. Everyone else be, should be civilians. I'm tired of seeing these old men out in the streets anyway. They look terrible in their uniforms. It's a young man's job. We have a standard assessments unit. Well, you know what? Out there picking out uniforms. I saw O'Hare's picture. I didn't see his entire body, but I saw his face. And I can get enough reading just on that. I'm sure he doesn't look too great in his uniform either. So we need to set the example. If you're going to tell police officers that they should look in uniform, they should have a good appearance. They should look like the guy that you had uh, that we had on our previous podcast. No donuts. You want to go out there and tell people what they should look at in uniform? Have that guy go out there. Say, you know what? This is what you should look like. But O'Hare, I saw his big fat face. So you know what? I don't think he should be a representative of what somebody should be looking like in uniform. Let's be honest, right? I understand. This is a young man's job. I don't expect people in their late 50s and their early 60s that are on their way out to look good in uniform. So stop wearing the uniform. It looks absolutely ridiculous. The highest-ranking uniform members should be the commanding officers of every precinct or specialized unit. That's my opinion. After that, they could be civilian personnel in charge of the police wearing a suit or something casual. Stop wearing a uniform. You look ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous thing. I would see some of these older it's, uh, inspectors and chiefs walking around correcting police officers on the way they look when their shirt was yellow, when it's supposed to be white, and the uniform looked ridiculous because they haven't bought a new one in 10 years with all the money that they have. So shame on you for doing that. I, I, and you know who you are because I've seen you out there. You look ridiculous. And I used to say that. I used to say, look at these guys. This guy's shirt is not even white. It's yellow. It looks like he slowed down traffic. And the jackets don't even fit. And they don't even take care of themselves. You know what? My father used to say, don't trust a man that his ass are bigger than, are whiter than his shoulders. Because they stop working out, their ass is whiter than his shoulders. Their handshake is soft like clam. Stop pretending you're a uniformed personnel. Wear a suit. Give some respect to the men and women that are out there. Give them the training. Let them get physically in shape. Advise them first what you expect them to look like. Let's revise all the stuff. You're right. Stop with all the beards. Stop looking crazy. I was wearing my beard at the end as a mockery because it was just ridiculous. At that point, I didn't even care anymore. It, it didn't matter. It, now you can wear your hair anyway. You can have your uniform anyway. It didn't matter anymore. Everything just went out the window. And look at it now. And now you're going to try to correct it in one day? I, I don't agree with that either. No, yeah, I agree. I mean, and that, that, that was my whole statement on it, I think. It's a disgrace to Native Americans. I don't think any of them would would hold that title in Native American culture. I don't think anybody would hold the title chief. I think they would be out there picking the grain and doing what they're told. Um, I don't think that they exhibit leadership and the qualities of a leader. So I, I, I don't believe the title chief is there. I don't necessarily agree with you with the whole commanding officer thing. And we spoke about that. Um, I do think there is a rank structure, but I do like what you're saying about them being in uniform because they do absolutely look sloppy. And, you know, it, it is a disgrace. It absolutely is. And you're a hundred percent right. They look like they just walked out of, off a two day bender at the bar with a dirty <laughs> their gut hanging over their gun belt. Their gun belt have nothing on it that we're, we have to carry. No body camera that we have to do. And they're held to none of the same standards. And when the shit hits the fan, they're nowhere to be found. And and they're gone. So I don't believe they're chiefs. And and again, they don't lead from the front, right? Look at the June 4, 2020 riot. There were plenty of chiefs there that day, right? Which one of them do you see on camera in the front? Not one. Where are they? They were all the way in the back. Um, so oh, yeah. 
it's you know they're not leading the charge where a chief in Native American culture would do. They would be in front of all their troops. So, or they're taking a knee. Or, or when they took a knee, that was the only time during the 2020 riots that they actually led, is they took a knee. Um, Pachardo did lead out there the first few nights, and look, look what happened to him. I mean, he got told uh, where, where to go. Right, he was out there locking people up. Uh, I'm no fan of him anymore. You know, he's running around telling views on armed security guards, but at that time, he did exhibit a leadership. He was out there. He was trying to. He was trying to stop the riots. Um, he was trying to do what he did, and he realized what was going on in the police department. He said, you know what? Let me get the hell off this job because this is not – they don't want police anymore. I'm leaving. And that's what he did, and I applaud him for that. And I think a lot of people should have did that. Um, you know, and then uh, what do we got coming up? We got uh, – we're going to do an Eric Garner episode. I'm traveling right now, so uh, when I get back, we're going to put that together. I'll put together – we're going to do a whole episode on the Eric Garner incident. We're going to give a take that's never been told before from the perspective of two NYPD officers who proactively police, who were trained the same exact way as Daniel Panaleo, who policed in the same exact precinct, the one to old precinct, who did those same exact moves and tactics that Daniel Panaleo did. And you're going to hear it from perspective of police officers. And we're going to give it to you like you never heard it before because it's going to be completely unfiltered and the complete truth of what the men and women in the New York City Police Department are saying. So I'm excited to do that episode. And I'm excited to do the Cop Watch episode too. And I'm sure he has his motives on why he wants to come on, Jose LaSalle. I'm sure he thinks he's going to make me and Eric look like idiots. Um our, our motives are completely different. You know, I, I know my I know my I'm not going to speak for Eric, but I know my motive is just to hear. What, I just want to hear what he has to say. I just want to hear what the purpose of the cop watch organization is and what his opinion of the New York City Police Department is and what he thinks the New York City Police Department should be doing. That's it. I just want to hear those three things. I'm just curious. Nobody's ever asked the questions. I think we should ask them. Yeah, I agree too. I'm a firm believer at this point. At this point, I don't think that he actually hates Eric Dib because he doesn't know me. But I think he believes what Eric he hates what Eric Dib represents as far as uh, the quintessential cop that he you know that he envisions a white male taking the charge, being in a leadership role in a black and brown neighborhood. So, I, like I said, I don't think he hates Eric Dib. So I, I don't even have any hatred towards him. I feel sorry for him that he actually wastes his time following cops around and and. It spends his time, you know, believing that he's going to be the catalyst for change. And I guess maybe he feels that way because of this abolish the police movement along the this woke ideology. He's had an opportunity to be a part of it. I guess it's timing for him doing this cop watch. But I, I think ultimately he's he's wasted his time. If he really wanted to make some change, he should attend the CCRB meetings, attend the city council. He should actually speak to police officers instead of just following them around and filming them. You know, midway, not actually uh, midway of an event and not actually asking, how do we get here? What happened? Start asking questions, Jose. Why are we here? You know, did this person commit a crime? You know, after aftermath and a controlled environment, because the police officers will talk to you. Ask them, you know, why, why do you use such tactics? I know he always, you know, he, he uh, manipulates, slows down vi uh, videos. I've been a part of when I had to deploy strikes. Ask, why did you have to deploy strikes? You know, why is it necessary? What would it be like if I was a cop for a day? Those are questions. And I think that's what ultimately this was about. Questions. We're not, I'm pretty confident we're not going to change Jose LaSalle's opinion. That's not what we're trying to do. 
And if you're expecting a fight, that's not what we're here to do. We're professionals. We want to hear what he has to say. It's important that you, you hear your opposition. And we should hear the grassroots of where it came from. And maybe we'll learn something from it. Maybe we won't. But at least he'll have an opportunity to be heard. And so will we. If he continues to hate us, so be it. We'll live our lives just fine. New York's fine as we try to fill the podcast. Just want to see you got the truth.